Well, um, we'll go ahead and we'll open up with a word of prayer and then we'll begin our study uh, tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this time we can come together and to look at your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have now to lift up the concerns that we have of brothers and sisters in Christ here at Flat Creek. We, uh, Father, we thank you for the, the praises that we've heard tonight from um, several of uh, things that have have gone well the way that you have have answered prayer and restored health. And, uh, Lord, we, we're very thankful for that. We, we do come tonight, we pray, we lift up Josh as he continues to recover. We pray that you would uh, continue to heal him, uh, Lord, and, and restore him to health. And, uh, Father, we pray tonight for, um, uh, for Kate and, and for Melanie as they are, are dealing with some kind of uh, intestinal issue. Father, we pray that they would, uh, Lord, it would be identified uh, quickly, and, and Father, that... Um, and it would be addressed, and that, Lord, you would uh, work through medicine and doctors, and, and Father, just uh, your mighty hand, and you would, would restore health there. Father, we, we pray for them this evening. Father, we, um, we thank you for what we've heard of, of Tammy and the, and the medication working. We pray that you would uh, be with Jacob as he starts physical therapy, and, and pray that that would be uh, a, a solution to the problem he's having. With shoulder, Father, we um, come tonight, and um, Lord, we just thank you for all the ways that you have answered prayer. We thank you for who you are and um, what we've seen you do, um, Lord, throughout Scripture and, and also in our own lives and and here at in our church family. And so, uh, Father, we pray tonight that you would be with us as we study together, um, that you would illumine our minds and, and that we might understand and you would, would change our hearts that we might um, repent and we might worship and we might obey. And so we, uh, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight, <clears throat> please open with me in your Bibles to Lamentations in the Old Testament, Lamentations chapter 3. Um, Lamentations, a book that was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, he, he wrote this book um, during or, or shortly after the, the fall of the city of Jerusalem. And, and so what he's recorded here is, uh, as the title says, it's a lament. It's, it's words of sorrow and, and of grief uh, that he, he's writing down in, in all that they are experiencing and when we look back and and see what was going on then it was it was I mean some of the things I can't even you know we can't even fathom um, such as how the nation of Israel was, was so far away from the Lord and and just practically things were so bad and and food supply in such short um, it's such a shortage there that it, uh, apparently the women began to eat their own children. 
in there in chapter 2, verse 20. Eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care. And, and I mean, that is one of the most graphic and, and, and most unsettling um, ideas that we can imagine. A terrible, terrible time in the history of God's people that we see this happening. Um, and, and in the midst of all this, Jeremiah is writing these things down. <coughs> And he's listing his sorrows and, and griefs, and as we said, it's, it's recorded and preserved for us here in, uh, his, in the Word of God. And so tonight we're going to actually use this um, in a way that, that I found personally to be very helpful. I, I hope and pray that you will find it to be helpful as well. And we're going to use the third chapter of Lamentations as kind of a blueprint to walk through and to understand how can we grieve to God's glory. You know, it's probably not something that we readily think about very often. Uh, a lot of times, especially when we're in the midst of it, you know, and in the midst of grief, sorrow, and anguish, um, glorifying God might, might not always be the first thing that, that comes to our minds, but we do want to do all that we do to the glory of God, and that includes grieving and expressing sorrow and sadness. And so we're going to talk about that uh, tonight as we walk through this. We know that sadness and, and pain and death and sorrow, it's, it's all a part of our lives. It's part of our world. Um, we're going to face them, uh, face these kind of things it might be in different forms for different people, um, but we're all going to experience grief. We're all going to experience this, this kind of hardship, and so it, we'll do well to know how to approach it in a scriptural way. And so we're going to look at Lamentations tonight, chapter 3, and we're going to look at it in two uh, separate sections. This first section we're going to look at is verses eight, uh, 1 through 18. And when we look at this, we're going to see um, kind of five aspects here of how to express grief in a sanctified way. Um, and so five truths that are going to help us with this. First of all, we learn from this text that um, in order to grieve in a biblical way, that we have to acknowledge God's <laughs> wrath. <clears throat> we have to acknowledge the wrath of God. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 3. Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. So we've got to understand that pain and sorrow, death, they're all the result of the just, righteous wrath of God uh, against sin. Now, sometimes there's a direct connection between our sinful choices, our sinful behavior, our sinful thoughts, and the sorrow or the grief that we find ourselves in. Sometimes our grief is the result of just a general reality of sin, that it exists. We, we know that um, you know, grief, pain against sadness, death, all, all the result of the disobedience of our first parents, of, of Adam and Eve in, in the garden. Uh, recorded for us in Genesis 3. 
And it's because of that that all of these things have come into the world that God has created. And so either way, either specifically or generally, the reason we experience these things is the result of sin and God's just punishment of sin. So it's the first thing to identify and to understand that we see in verse 1. Secondly, we, when it comes to expressing grief in a biblical way, we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty. So, uh, again, look with me in verses 2 through 7. We read, He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Again, when we see Jeremiah writing this, we, we ask who is the one who is, is acting and is doing these things in these verses. It's the Lord. He's the one that, that has done, that done these things. Uh, he's in complete sovereign control over everything that happens. And so it's important that we, we address this, we acknowledge this, we know that he is in total and complete control over all things. Um, and in expressing our emotions to the Lord, uh, we, we need to be careful that we remember that. Um, and, and the author of the study had a, a great statement in this section about this, and he wrote this, We must voice complaints to God rather than against God. It, it is good and it is right for us to express um, our hardship and our suffering to God. We see examples of that all over Scripture, um, such as what we're reading tonight. But it should not be against Him. He says, We must have brutal honesty in prayer, coupled with a loving submission to our Father's hand. And I, I thought that was a great way of expressing how those two things kind of come together um, in, in times of in situations of grief and sorrow. Third, tonight we're going to see we have to understand unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. We, we see this in, in verses 8 through 13. And there we read, Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. Again, really um, illustrative, really picturesque language that, that's being used here by Jeremiah to describe this anguish and sorrow that he's going through. And we, we ask, why might this be the case? Why might the Lord um, not hear or, or not answer prayer? Um, we know in, in this particular case, this specific case that, that's being talked about here, Jeremiah... Um, was praying that the Lord would um, hear the prayers of the Israel people, that He would uh, prosper the people of Israel uh, 
kind of, regardless of whether they repented or not. And, and of their response to what the Lord was doing in His judgment on them. And so that, that's why the Lord would come to Jeremiah and say something like in, in Jeremiah 7, As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. God had, had warned them and warned them and warned them and had sent prophets and, and preachers and um, people to, to share with them the truth, and they rejected it. And so therefore he gives this command. Um, we're also told in the New Testament book of James, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So sinful motivations for a prayer. Um, and would lead um, a, God to, to not hear and perhaps not to answer those prayers that we pray. Um, we see it again in, in here in, in the book of Lamentations with Jeremiah and the people of Israel, also in the, the epistle of James in the New Testament. Fourth aspect that we see in this passage of Scripture in Lamentations tonight is that we must acknowledge hardship and persecution. So let's read verses 14 through 17. It says, I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me or, or satisfied me or, or filled me up uh, with warm wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. Um, just, just crying out, drawing out, pouring out. Again, in this, this, these figures of speech and its language, the sorrow and the grief that's being experienced. Um, We see in the New Testament that um, Paul would write, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So hardship and, and persecution is just it's a reality that we all face as believers. Um, and, and so we see here Jeremiah in, in Lamentations, he's not denying it. He's not um, trying to, to hide it. He's not shying away from it. He's looking at this reality and he's laying it out there that he's the laughing stock of the people he's being slandered um, and and taunted and, and all kinds of things um, and there's another bit of wisdom here from from dr mcgraw as he write the, writes the study that that we're drawing from tonight um, he wrote this that like jeremiah we may find that our memories of past blessings may intensify our distress by exacerbating the bitterness of the present. That makes sense of how that could happen. Think about the, the great things, memories you have in the past, and then you look at the situation you're currently in, and you're like, man, this really stinks. Um, but he says, rather than stifling such thoughts immediately, we must release the pressure by venting them before God in a godly Way. And I thought that statement was, again, very helpful. That we don't just try to stuff it down and get rid of it, but rather we acknowledge it 
and we vent that thing and, and share it with the Lord. Um, helpful, helpful words there. The last aspect tonight um, in, in this section um, is in verse 18, we see that we must confess our weakness. And so we see it in, again, verse 18. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. So here, Jeremiah, he's, he's acknowledging he can't do it anymore. His, his strength, his endurance is gone. Now, the second part of this statement uh, th that he gives um, is not in reality true. At least not fully or, or finally for a child of God. Now, it may, may feel that way. Absolutely that there's no hope. We may feel, even for long periods of time, in our anguish and our sorrow, that there's, there's no hope with the Lord. But we know that ultimately that's not true. Uh, we have truths all over Scripture, um, like found in Hebrews 13, uh, where he has said he will never leave us nor forsake us. There is hope with the Lord. Um, The author also suggests something here, that uh, another um, truth that, that I found helpful as I was reading through this. He said that, you know, in our moments, when we feel like there's no hope with the Lord, or perhaps we feel like we've, we've been forsaken of the Lord, um, it, it's good for us to remember Christ. You remember he cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and in this moment, when we know that he was truly forsaken of the Father, um, and, and having our sins dumped on him and paying the penalty for that, that we might be forgiven, when we, when we feel like we've been forsaken, we can look back to this and we see even in this statement, we see both an act of faith because he calls him my God. He knows the Father is his Father. And so there's, a, there's a, an act of faith there. But then at the same time, there's a, choir, a cry of anguish and of sorrow. Why have you forsaken me? And so they both go together. And it also has to be the same with us. All of our cries of anguish to God, we must also have and we also must express our faith in Him. John Calvin said it this way. He said, There is no one of the godly who does not daily experience in himself this kind of thing. According to the judgment of the flesh, he thinks he is cast off and forsaken by God. It's what it seems like from everything we see around us. While yet he apprehends by faith the grace of God, which is hidden from the eye of sense and reason. Again, it doesn't, we don't see it in the moment. And thus it comes to pass that contrary affections are mingled and interwoven in the prayers of the faithful. So, 
faith in that which we cannot see while we express the grief and the sorrow that we're currently experiencing. It happens at the same time. And so now that we've looked at these five aspects of expressing biblical grief we, from uh, verses 1 through verse 18, uh, we're going to also look at an, the next session, section, which is an illustration here of how to exercise faith in God under hardship. And that's going to come in verses 19 through 39. Um, the first thing that we'll see here that, that Jeremiah does and that we must do as well is to turn grief into prayer. Turn our grief into prayer. We see this in, in verses 19 and 20. There it says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So this, this idea of coming and crying out to the Lord um, in our times of trial and suffering and grief. And the author brings up a point here that um, we must pray in distress, but many times it has this effect of when we pray when we're in distress and sorrow and grief, um, it can have this kind of immediate effect of actually making us more sorrowful because as we pray, we're having to think again about the reasons why we're so sorrowful. So it can kind of compound on itself and we're, we're thinking about it again and again and so it actually drags us further down because we can't pray about it without thinking about it. We see in Psalm uh, 77 that Asaph says, When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. So through prayer and meditation to, to bring relief and to bring peace to, to our souls in, in our times of grief, it, it will do that, but it's not always immediate necessarily. Um, the, the second truth that we see, along with turning our grief into prayer, is we must confront our grief with meditation. And again, when we talk about meditation in the Christian life, we're talking about thinking with our minds very deeply. We're talking about thinking very seriously on truth. We're talking about pondering and reflecting. And Jeremiah, in the next few verses, he's going to show us these examples of what it is that we should be meditating on. And so we're going to walk through those together. We see, uh, first of all, verses 22 to 23, the Lord's mercies preserve us. It says there, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So after all of the, the sorrow and the grief that Jeremiah has has experienced and, and he's expressed in the first part of this chapter about arrows going into his kidneys and, and all of the other ways that he's expressed this. He, he comes back to, in this verse, the character of God. And he, he focuses on who he is, that, that God is the one who say, sustains his people through his mercies that are new every day, his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his 
faithfulness to his people. And Jeremiah meditates on that truth. Also, we see that in grief, uh, we should meditate on the fact that the Lord is our portion. We see this in verse 24. There it says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. He is our God. We have Him. We have a relationship with Him. He is our loving Father. We see this all the way back in uh, the book of Exodus with the people of Israel in, in Exodus 6, where God said to them, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. We see it further on in uh, the book of Isaiah. We, we, we read during Advent last Sunday morning um, these words, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A name that means God with us. He, he is with us. He's our portion. We also see it at the end of the, the Great Commission. In, in Matthew 28, Jesus, they're talking to his disciples and he tells them, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Over and over again we see he's with us. He is our portion. He is our inheritance. And it should be the meditation of our minds and our hearts in these times of grief. We see next, we should also meditate on the fact that the Lord is good to His people. Verses 25 and 26. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We see in these verses um, that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And, and we should meditate on this as we go through these times of sorrow. Uh, verses 27 to 30. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheeks to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insult. The, the consequences of, again, especially when our grief and our sorrow and the, the anguish that we feel is the result of our own sinful choices that we've made and actions. Um, it, it, is, it is good that we, we then undergo the discipline of the Lord. And we should meditate on that. Um, next, we meditate on the fact that the Lord is compassionate to His people. Verses 31 to 33, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though He cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For He does not afflict from His heart or grieve the children of men. So though the, the Lord disciplines those He loves that we just talked about, He disciplines in order to lead us to repentance if we are children of God, if we are believers. It leads to repentance. It doesn't last forever. He's a compassionate God, uh, and He's full of steadfast love for His 
children. And so we need to remember and reflect upon it. We meditate in, in times of grief on the Lord's just character. We see that in these verses in 34 to 36. It says, To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. God is a God of justice. Um, he, he will do that which is right and good. Um, and so we can reflect on the fact that he is indeed just. And lastly, we see here in the midst of grief that we, med- we meditate on the fact that the Lord is in control of all things. Again, verse 37 and 38. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? So in our grief, in our sorrow, we meditate, we reflect on these truths, we, um, we confess them and profess them back to the Lord in prayer as we turn to Him, just like we see Jeremiah doing it here in, this, in, in the book of Lamentations. And so several things that we've seen already, we've seen that we, we turn our grief into prayer, we've seen that we confront our grief in meditation and in uh, examples here, in Lamentations chapter 3. And the third thing we're going to see in these verses is that we should be humbled under our grief. And we see this in verse 39. There Jeremiah says, Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? And it's likely mentioned at the beginning of the study tonight that um, all grief and sadness and sorrow are a result of Sin, sometimes direct uh, and related to some sin we have committed, uh, sometimes a result of the existence of sin um, in, a, in a general way in the world. But either way, this suffering and grief and sorrow for sin, it should not lead us to anger against God, which um, can, can quickly occur uh, in our hearts and our minds, if, if we're not um, on top of that, if we don't understand that, if we're not addressing that, um, instead of this anger coming out against the Lord, uh, rather it should lead us to humility before Him. Uh, knowing that, that all the points that we mentioned from uh, verses 21 to 38 are true of Him. That, that is who He is. He is God. And we are not. Um, I know that uh, to say all these things and remember all these things in, in, in an outline form, uh, you know, it, it's not going to go down that way in the, in the moment of duress, in, in the moment of, of sadness and anguish when, when it happens. Um, and I know it's not, it's not easy. But I think it's very helpful to have these kind of things in mind and to understand them and to know them um, in order for, for when that time does happen, when it does come and we are faced with these things, we can know these truths um, and know where to turn in the Word of God um, to, to know how to address them. So um, I, again, I, I, I pray that that was, was helpful for, for you all as we walk through that this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we 
We do thank you for your word and the, the example that it lays out for us. And uh, Father, ways we can um, see how to pray, how to react to uh, the situations in our lives, the way we uh, address even, even things like sorrow and grief and anguish. Lord, you have not left us alone to, to figure that out. You have given us your word. And so, Father, I pray that we would diligently study it and seek to learn, to grow, and to understand. Uh, Father, that we might um, see you in your glory and we might glorify you even in the midst of sorrow. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.